You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about. Okay, there we go. How are you people? Eight o'clock on the dots, three weeks in a row. Fantastic. The new me. Welcome to episode 43 of the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Um, I always say really looking forward to tonight. I'm really looking forward to tonight. Really, really, really am. But I just say it every week. So, um, And if you've watched this for a while, you understand why I'm excited because the, the guests have just been, it's just fantastic. And tonight's not going to be any exception at all. Really interesting topic. Um, we are going to be talking about shockwave therapy, which I'm really excited about. Um, for so many reasons, which we will get into. Um, but before we do that, um, if you're listening on YouTube, which you can do uh, live, if you don't want to go to Facebook, that's fine. Watch us on YouTube. You can still comment. Um, otherwise, you can join us live um, on in the Sports Therapy Association Facebook page, which is open to anyone. You don't have to be a member to come along. And if you do come along live, which we encourage you to do so, then you can network, you can say hi, you can, I can bring your comments and questions um, up on screen like I'm doing now on the video. Um, so, hey, Mark. Hey, Tom. Um, hey, Harry Chambers. Um, so it's a great opportunity to network. And like I say, so proud. We get 50, 60, 70, um, 75, I think, is the top so far. People live giving up their time for Thursday night. So um, it's beautiful to see so many people getting together and giving up their time. Um, but of course, some of you will be listening on the podcast, which is an option as well. Um, if you don't want to listen live, if you if that doesn't work for you, if it's a time difference or something, then that's no problem. You can find us on all good pod- podcast players. Um, you can also catch up with the videos if you want to see the visuals of the actual guests and what they look like behind the voices of reason. Then you can find us on YouTube. All the videos are uploaded there. Um, and like I say, if you are a fan of the podcast, then do, 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 please do us the favor of leaving a review and a rating. Um, it's all free. Um, and all we do is we do this to put out the good word. It really is altruism at its best, I promise you. Um, as is the Sports Therapy Association, it's a non-profit organization and it's just helping therapists, supporting therapists. So in payment, what you can do, the nicest thing you can do is um, helps, help us spread the word by leaving a review and rating um, on iTunes um, if you're using Android. And if you're using iPhone, it really takes 30 seconds. You just go to your app and it will allow you to leave us uh, five stars. Um, which obviously is what you're going to leave and a little comment. So do please try and do that if you, if you can't. I think we're up to about 15 ratings, which considering we get about, I don't know, 1,700 downloads last week, the math doesn't quite work. What's going on? It's a bit of give and take. So it'd be great if we could uh, bump that up a little bit. Um, talking of, oh, also talking of the STA, you haven't got to be a member to watch this, obviously, but hopefully it'll give you an insight to what um, the Sports Therapy Association is all about. Um, for people who are members or interest, interested in being members, I should say, um, we are doing a lockdown special membership now um, because we obviously we appreciate more than anyone that people are falling on hard times. So if you are interested in being a member for students, it's literally one pounds a month for the for two months. Um, which I just can't believe I'm saying, but that's what it is. Um, and if it's full membership you need because you're not a student, then it's £10 a month um, for two months um, just to help you save the pennies whilst you're checking out what we're about. Um, and then after those two months, even when it goes up to normal prices, you can see on the screen, if you're watching the live show, 
um, for students it goes to 35 pounds a month and for um, qualified therapists it goes up to 60 pounds a month which I challenge you really to try and find anything um, both cheaper and of better quality to tell you the truth but then I'm biased which is quite a nice segue into what we're going to do tonight but um, we won't go there yet so that's um, all details can be found at the sta.co.uk um, so check out the website, which is looking very plush at the moment, I must say. Um, it's all being redone and vamped up, and I'm loving that. So do go, even if you remember, go out and check out the website. And as always, let us know what you think of it, because it's for you. Thanks last week to everybody who came along and everyone who's downloaded the, the, the show with the fantastic Jamie Johnston. Really uh, such a great hour, such a great bloke, uh, and a real pioneer Um current pioneer in in spreading the good word of, of kind of evidence-informed uh massage and manual therapy really so well listening to it. it's everything i want this podcast to be as in helping therapists who have heard on the touch lines that some of the things they've been taught and are still being taught might not be quite true um but it's scary it's not nice hearing that something you've done or paid thousands of pounds for wasn't quite accurate um but it's the way it is for a lot of people so rather than making you angry or making you feel like you're an imposter or chucking everything away. That's what we try and do. And that's what we're going to try and do tonight as well. In every episode, give you the chance to realize you're not chucking everything out with the bathwater. It's just tweaking a few things, which will help you become a better therapist. It'll make you feel more proud of what you're doing. And ultimately it's going to help your patients and clients as well. So thanks Jamie for forming part of that. Do check out Jamie's website. Um, There's going to be courses coming up. There's courses running at the moment. Um, and and hand on heart recommend them okay so do have a little look um, at the massage um, therapist development center right then tonight oh we're going to fill the screen up shortly with fantastic people of knowledge um, and gary and um, we are going to <laughs> sorry gary that's a cheap but we're going to be talking about shockwave therapy which i'm really excited about because i know i'm going to learn a lot i know that my biases mean I'm, I'm really dubious of anything any machines that go being it's just since my experiences with ultrasound and and all that everyone's got a story of the machine wasn't even on and the client's gone out the door and you go oh i didn't even switch it on and and maybe they come back saying it's brilliant last time and he just makes you think how much can we separate? Is it a crowbar separation, kind of traditional ultrasound from shockwave? Or is it just a way of making it sound more impressive by putting shock in there? Um, we're going to find out. And I'm really thrilled to say that we've got two of the best people we could find to talk about it. Um, our very own Mike Grice, who you will have seen before, and also Uwe Indergaard, which I've just said completely wrong, but that's going to happen all night, I can guarantee it. And we're going to bring up the big man Gary himself as well. Um, so keep the questions coming um if you're if you haven't joined us live then you're missing out but try maybe next tuesday um and that's it so i'm gonna now bring up i'm gonna hide the pictures for the moment and bring up the people in no particular order who have i left out it wasn't no order oh we're all here lovely there you go hey people hi <laughs> evening there we go. Right. So we have in the screen, I mean, people who have joining us for the first time, I'll put the names on so you can see us um, and who we are. But for people listening to the podcast, then we've obviously got myself, Matt Phillips. I'm the host of the show. We've got Gary Benson, who's the founder um, of uh, Sports Therapy Association. We've also got Mike Grice, who's been on episodes before, um, who a lot of you actually in the room, I'm sure, have done some of the courses. Um, 
stemming out of Birmingham. Um, and also we have Uwe Indergaard, um, who some of you I know um, have worked with as well in the past. Um, and I'm very happy to have um, here tonight as well joining us for the first time. So let's start off with Uwe, who just has had no hassle at all joining us. So how's it going? Uh, good, thank you. Thanks, uh, thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I mean, I'm not going to lie. When we, when we knew we wanted to talk about this, you were the first man who was sent <laughs> through our channels, um, both through Mike and other people. So I'm really glad that you've given up some of your time. And Mike, how are you? Are you all right? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, good to see you again, mate. Yeah. Um, what's the news on the, before I forget, what's the news on the anatomy courses? Ah, uh, it's all kicking off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just opened uh, up a can of dead yeah, worms. No, it's great. It's, uh, yeah, m- Mondays, uh, we're doing a live stream every Monday, um, basically following on from the chat that we had back in November time. So, uh, yeah, we're on episode 17, 18, something like that. So we've been going for about, yeah, nearly 18 weeks. It's been really good. Fantastic. And the possibility of the live cadaver workshops and that, is that... I, I got confirmation last Friday that it's definitely going ahead in June. Yeah. Oh, great news. Fantastic. So and there was a there was a list for that, wasn't there, which I'm sure people have been filling out. And that was going to be Keele, is it still? Yeah, Keele University, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Well, there you go. And if people are still interested in that, I'm sure they can go to your website and uh, have a look we'll make sure the link the links are around every, anywhere but we'll make yeah, sure it goes yeah. into the comments as well great thank you right big man gary how are you yeah fine thanks matt um a few things if i can just before we start um just a bit of a plug really um for members we have on a wednesday morning 11 o'clock to about 12 o'clock we have a, a really informal zoom um coffee morning chat uh, there's no agenda it's just ring up you know join in and, and have a chat and last week it came up about vulnerability in the workplace for new therapists for female therapists and also it was brought up about male therapists and how do they protect themselves from um you know uh, un- un- um, accusations um of, of you know improper behavior um, and as a result of that there's about 14 people joined a, a bit of a working group through facebook and we're producing a resource pack which will be made available to not just our members but to the wider industry and there's been a lot of support for that in the physio in Gemma's uh, physio support group um so that, that's hot off the press so hopefully that'll that'll come in the next few weeks um and then the other thing is that in the comment section on facebook which i can't see what on on the live uh, i posted a link to a, a list of the national occupational competency standards which relate to electrotherapy just for the podcast i'm just going to read them out briefly they're not very long um but you have to take in context that these occupational competencies were consulted on in 2007 and 2008, introduced in 2009, and in theory expired five years later uh, in 2014. So we are still working to an outdated um, set of competencies. And Mike and I spoke at length about this last year. Um, and, and hopefully tonight's chat will will break down some of the mystery um, and um, propaganda behind uh, the electrotherapy. So just briefly, Skills for Health, the Sector Skills Council, own the following uh, National Occupational Competency Standards. Um, D526 is applied magnetic therapies to clients in a sport and activity context. 
D530 is apply electrical stimulation techniques to clients in the sport and activity context. D531 apply repair stimulator techniques to clients in sport and activity context. And then finally, D532 apply advanced repair stimulator techniques to clients in sport and activity context. So there's nothing specific in there. There's nothing named apart from magnetic therapies. You know, I'm, I'm fairly old. I'm 55. I can never remember magnetic therapies unless it was we're talking about what was around in the 1980s. So why that's in there, we don't know. But all of the other occupational competencies, it could be argued that the things that we're using today could fit nicely into those competencies. And that's what we're here to discuss. Great, very useful. And all that information can be found on the Facebook page. Yeah. For, yeah, brilliant. Okay. So a lot of information there and definitely yeah, something we're going to tackle tonight, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, any other housekeeping at all before we jump into it, Gary? Because once we get in there, it's... We're never gonna... No, I mean, obviously with the um, step two of the roadmap to recovery, shall we call it, uh, due on the 5th of April, we thought it would be a really good idea for to get three or four of us together on the Tuesday the 6th and just have a look at what's been announced and, and, and sort of set out some of the uh, roadmap to return to work. Um, we are going to try and get our Welsh, Scottish and, and Northern Irish colleagues involved as well um, so that we've got everybody's representative fairly. Um, and it'll just be a question and answer, really, because as usual, the um, the finer detail doesn't usually come out until 48 to 72 hours after PM's announcement. So we're expecting towards the end of that week, we'll be able to issue um, you know, pretty comprehensive guidance. But fingers crossed that we are going back on the 12th. Uh, that's the earliest date possible. Um, and I've seen that some people are starting to book people in. I think it's a little bit too early for that. By all means, start a provisional list. But um, let's not get caught out. Um, and yes, I am aware that there are mobile massage therapists working, going into other people's home, claiming to be medical masseurs, etc. But we can't police that. You know, um, that is just what it is. Um, let's us be professional. Let's us do things properly and be part of the solution to to getting out of this um, this, this pandemic. And and I had my first uh, jab last week. Um, I was a little bit man flu on on, on the night, but uh, I've recovered well, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good words. Yeah, that's a great idea um, on that date. Um, so have we got representatives from different parts of the country? Or do you want people to kind of put their names forward if they're free? Um, I've got some ideas in my head and I'll be contacting people over the next Brilliant. few days just to give them some preparation time. Fantastic. Right. A question is already burning in the comments here. Um, you can probably see on the side there we need to tackle it straight away. Um, Steve's brought it up. A few other people. Mike Grice, no hat. <laughs> yeah yeah you're right um, yeah. it's Get also it. been uh supported and seconded by becky she said um i was thinking the same what's, what's going on let's just get that out of the way if you were listening to the podcast and obviously you can't see this, this is one of the reasons you need to kind of try and join us live but yeah it basically we're looking at mike grice without any headgear i, d- I didn't want to make it overtly pluggy you know so uh, <laughs> Yeah, that, that's that's my usual kind of Monday attire. Yeah, th- sorry that this is my COVID hair at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so apologies, Stevie, <laughs> Becky, if that's been a bit of a, a shock, but it, 
yeah he has got hair um also peter i apologize if i did suggest that there was live cadavers on the course um i can assure that all the cadavers are not live um <laughs> but i'm sorry about that it's not semantics at all it's important to point out yeah. uh, but a few people already backed up about the anatomy courses catherine there hi catherine how are you doing she said enjoy the learn anatomy learn anatomy online course uh yay to june um stevie Barr is saying anatomy course is awesome um so becky's saying oh i'll sign up for june now it's confirmed so a lot of love for the anatomy courses if you missed that episode um, i can't mention what it is but go to did you say it was in november was it sometime mike yeah was it that long ago Maybe. yeah 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 um, well, i was unlucky number 13 i remember well, seriously that long ago yeah my yeah. gosh well yeah. that's then it's an amazing amazing one especially visually so watch the video There's some lovely videos and examples mm -hmm. of anatomical variations and things which you can only really appreciate when you're up close and touching dead cadavers so there we go right we're going to start let's get rid of that people if you've got any questions uh, then fire them away oh how do we start how do we open this up um okay well look i'm going to put this out there first of all to a certain extent, I'm going to be kind of the person who's bringing up the comments. I'm in my own little bubble, probably. But one of the things I see against Shockwave, or one of the questions is most of us, and again, this might be generalization, aren't really using ultrasound anymore. There's been too many stories of whole football teams having it for the season. It wasn't even switched on. That might be kind of anecdotal and stuff, but... So therefore, I think it's quite interesting to start to make a definition between traditional ultrasound and shockwave, i.e. is there much of a difference? What is the difference? Is that a fair way to start? I think so. <clears throat> Seems though like you brought it up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's an important um, one because I think that's one of the reasons is, people discuss it. Is. It's, it's, a, it's a distinction to make. And, um, you know, both of them are, are sound waves. I think that's where the similarities end. Um, they both use ultrasound gel to propagate the sound wave into um, the human tissue. Um, but it, in terms of the difference of it, um, shock waves are around about a thousand times more powerful than an ultrasound wave. Um, and that's a huge difference. Um, I guess the other thing to, to talk about as well is that there are two different kinds of shock waves um, and they propagate differently in tissue um, because of how they're produced. Um, so I don't know how many people know that there are two types, but one is radial and the other one, other one is focused shockwaves. So radial shockwaves is basically the, the, the probably the, the, the machines that most people have in their clinics, um, mostly due to cost, I guess. They have a ballistic bullet that flies up and down a shaft, which then creates um, a shockwave when it hits a metal transmitter which then hits the skin and then it kind of dissipates into the um, into the, the tissue that you're treating. Focus shockwave is, is different again. Um, it has a different um, shock, uh, well, the wave that comes through. So often the two are separated as in radial pressure waves and focus shockwaves because a true shockwave has a characteristic of a rapid rise followed by a, a negative phase as well. So if you can imagine a focus shockwave has a huge rise up like that, which then drops down and becomes negative before it then peters out. Um, and that happens in a, a fraction of a second. Um, so that um, the, the average machine goes somewhere between four and eight hertz, okay? Um, and it's, it's really rapid and really powerful. So the difference between radial shockwave and focus shockwave is the power in the focus shockwave is around about 10 to 100 times more than a radial shockwave. 
So if a radial shockwave then has a, a curve that's more like that, then the focal shockwave has that spike. So there's, there's a different um, characteristic between the two. Um, so that that's important to understand too. And the, the two different types have different uses um, and are better for certain things, which we'll hopefully talk about today as well, which is really, really important. Um, but that, that, that's kind of where the similarity with the, the, the ultrasound is, is, is literally just a sound wave, but the, the power of it is um, just tremendously higher in a shockwave. Um, so when in studies, if people are going to be, we're going to bring up a few studies and things and screenshots and we'll make sure there's probably, again, we'll create a little folder which people can look at the studies on. But when people see ESWT, as in extracorporeal shockwave therapy, is that referring to both those types or? Yeah, often both is, is categorized as extracorporeal shockwave therapy. Extracorporeal okay. just means from the outside of the body. Yeah. Um, used because there are also intracorporeal shockwaves. So in the studies I've looked at, are there, is there, are they, if you look at the full text, do they differentiate between the radial and the focus then, or sometimes do they just regard them at the same? Do you know what? There's, there's, there's such a discrepancy within the literature. Hmm. Um, some of them discuss radial pressure waves. Some of them call it radial shockwave. Um, sometimes it's classified as a focus, and sometimes they don't even mention it, um, or they give a vague um, estimation as in, um, radial shockwave is measured in bars, bar of pressure, and focus is, is measured in millijoules per millimeter squared. Um, so they have a different measuring technique. So when you're reading a paper, often there'll be, um, that's where you pick it up, whether it's radial or focus, if it hasn't been mentioned. Um, and then sometimes, um, some, sometimes the, um, the paper will say uh, we used a, pressure equivalent to so many millijoules and there is a loose correlation between bars and millijoules although that hasn't really been researched fully um, it's an estimation of power um, that, that that's usually used then um, but yeah it's, it's it is a very much a mixed bag and and um, as we do talk about research later on um, there's lots of methodology methodological issues uh, involved with this research um, and so you have to be really selective uh, what you're reading, um, you know, the difference between papers 15, 20 years ago to the last five years, for instance, there's differences there too, I think. Um, and you just need to, you need to understand the technology a little bit before you discard the, the research or believe the research uh, as the as the case may be. And there is definitely, it's one of those topics which is just made so difficult on social media because it has become very polarized and people dismiss it completely or people will love it and promise that it cures everything from period pains to headaches and like they have done in the past so it's tricky where therapists are going to look so hopefully you two are going to sort that out tonight because all they've got to do is kind of go onto one of your courses or look at your websites and they'll get god's truth yeah well we're we trying to guide people as best we can and um there are people that guide us in terms of where we need to start you know there are um, places where you can safely start with shockwave and get some good results. The, there is what's called the International Society of Medical Shockwave Therapy, which is um, both, they lead both the scientific, um, both at a, you know, a basic science kind of way, as well as the clinical um, research of it, and also guiding the teachings of, of shockwave. Um, and they outline then more uh, basic to more advanced, to experimental conditions that shockwave therapy can be useful for. So 
what we do, like on our beginner courses, we focus mostly on tendinopathies. So tendinopathies is a, is a good place. There's great evidence for a lot of the tendinopathies that we treat. Um, and it's also one of the, the basic conditions that they mention in there, which are safe for most people to, to get started with. Um, and the recommendations that they make in terms of basic to advanced to um, uh, experimental uh, is basically based on the amount of research that backs up um, those conditions too. So when you follow their guidelines, you know that what you need to teach people to start off with needs to be the, the tendinopathy stuff. And then um, everything else, as you get more advanced with things, you might want to you know, try on one of the harder conditions to treat, but they do need some clinical justification in there as well. It's not just a stick the machine on anything and, and blast away. Brilliant. Can I ask a question then, um, Uber, please? If you're running a course... You know, how do you screen the the person that may want to book onto your course? Because allied health professionals have all got a minimum standard of education. Um, members of the STA might be a sports massage therapist at level three with very little experience in the industry. It might be a career change. It might be a first job. Um, we have soft tissue therapists who are remedially trained. And then we have degree graduates, um, a, a, sports rehabilitation and sports therapy so is there a minimum standard of education um because what i see when i go to all of the uh, the flashy conventions and expos is a salesman um selling a machine on a lease basis um with the same salesman doing a three-hour training course you know to learn how to use it and then uh, i'm inundated with facebook videos of people doing tendinopathy treatments with with shockwave machinery and my concern is that they haven't got the clinical experience or the clinical reasoning to know when to and when not to apply so is there a minimum standard that you would expect in education for somebody booking onto your courses yes i i teach for um what's essentially sports medical um in in the uk um so i'm part of their their teaching team and um, they hire us in then to provide the education for them. Um, what, the, what they basically ensure is that the people that come on, onto the courses have a minimal standard. So for us, it's allied health professionals um, that we kind of cover in our courses. Um, and uh, I wouldn't say that we've never had somebody who is a sports therapist or a massage therapist on the courses, but when they then go to buy the machines, they need to prove that they are uh, qualified to use it. Um, so I was going to say, is there an assessment of competency then? Because we, we then move on to insurability. If, if I buy a machine and I do a course of training, am I assessed as being competent? So the insurance company will then cover me or, or, or do some companies out there issue certificates of attendance or certificates of completion? Uh, I think there is a there, there's a um, there's no assessment in our courses. We like I said we we cater for mostly for medical and allied health professionals, um, and I guess that's where you know um, Mike comes in, where he's he's now looking into producing a course specifically for sports therapists, so that they can get that qualification, which enables them to get the insurance. Um, but that is not something that we're providing at the moment um what we do provide is different levels of uh, courses now for both radial and focused um training so that people who have one machine or the other or both can then get both the basic and more advanced conditions covered in those 
uh, training courses. Um, but at, at any point in time, you know, as an allied health professional, you are bound by your uh, scope of practice um, and it has to co- be covered in, within your scope of practice to, to use shockwave therapy. Um, and certainly for, for most allied health professionals, that's, that's the case. And the sports therapists obviously need to prove their competency, which I understand your question, uh, yeah. but that's not something that, that then healthcare um, that I teach for provide at the moment. Okay. And could I just say we we do now? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Newsflash. I knew you were planning something. So, uh, sorry, sorry, Eva. I kind of left you hanging on that one, but um, it, I I finished writing it last last week. So um, it's uh, after our conversation, Gary, at the last therapy expo. So that was what twenty nineteen. Uh, yeah. we, we were we were concerned about the um, the one day courses and the certificate of attendance and then being able to to buy the uh, the the kit. So um, I I approached uh, Stortz because I, I I got my machine from them and uh, and I had a chat with uh, with Johnny, the guy who uh, uh, who kind of heads up all, all of the well, he was my contact basically. So I said, well, what what do you do? with sports therapists how do we um uh, how do you assess them uh, coming onto the course and he had no idea that there were different levels and why and why would he you know there, there's there's no reason why he would so i i said right okay well uh, i know about the levels and uh, i know where the gaps are and um uh, and so i've put together a course specifically to to bridge the gap and um it's uh because uh, the, the, I mean, even um, mentions it on his course as well. Like the, um, you one of the contraindications is if you have um, some kind of neuropathy because you you can't feel a certain area of your body, and you wouldn't then apply an electrotherapy modality or a sound wave modality to that area because you can't feel it. So um, the person has to have the competency to be able to do a neurological assessment. So if you haven't had that as part of your training, then you shouldn't really be applying that machine because you you don't understand the um, the implications of of that particular um, pathology. So that, um, and and in the course that that's that that's the kind of thing that I've included in there to make sure that um, that ultimately that people are safe. And and that's um, that that was my kind of main remit really from. Um, from then um, was to um, to bring everybody up to that standard of, of safety and yes they're assessed all the way on on this course so there's um, there's modules on tendinopathies and what tendinopathies actually are what the best practice for managing tendinopathies are uh, there's then um, and uh, believe it or not there's a bit of anatomy uh, so they know the, the bony landmarks and, and exactly where the tendons insert onto the body because if you don't understand the anatomy then you can't direct your treatment so you, you need to have that level of knowledge as well uh, and then afterwards there's um there's a uh, there's an essay and um, so you have to do a critical analysis and you also have to do a, a case study saying how you would treat someone from them contacting your clinic all the way through to the first to the first treatment so we've got a clear competency checklist to say yep this person knows how to use the machine they know what uh, what what the indications are for uh, shockwave therapy, what radial does, what focus does, and they'll understand all that as well, and then be able to apply it um, and be assessed on it. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, I, that's, 
I suppose <laughs> anybody anybody just joining in would would think, oh, there's some joined up thinking going on here. But we've been talking about this for for like you say for nearly two years. Yeah, and it's yeah. taken. And, and I know COVID has had a, a massive impact on on progression of, of of education. But you know, we are addressing these things. You know, in the background. You know, we are doing things. Um, not just ringing up and speaking to members. We are consulting. We are collaborating, and we are raising the standard, which mm-hmm. I think, which what the industry, our particular industry, needed. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, I think um, as as Eva said, you know, it, it's not it's not really it wasn't really Ven's place. I mean, there, there's a, there's also you know a lot of other um, providers of shockwave devices, uh, and. Um, it's not their place really to upskill our industry. It's it's up to us to do that. And that they're, they're they're selling machines. So and that what and like I said, why should they understand the kind of intricacies of all the different levels of qualification? And um, that and you know, it's difficult for us, uh, let alone someone from outside of the uh, outside of the industry. So uh, we have to do it ourselves. Yeah, and that's what we're doing, you know, with, with regards to the occupational standards. You know, we are consulting on those at the moment. We are looking at introducing occupational competencies that, that, that more mirror the, the current uh, evidence-based and evidence-informed therapies that we're working in. So, yeah, it's all, it's all progress. And, and the reason that we have people like Uber on here is to, um, you know, we're not here to give him the, the, the Spanish Inquisition, but we want to know how you know, how this is safe for our industry to use. We want to raise standards in our industry so we're taken more seriously and the interprofessional um, relationships are the things that we're developing and we're giving this access to the members so that they're better informed and they don't get uh, taken in by just a salesman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, look, this is making, this is answered about the next 12 questions, I think, in the comments. So it's pretty cool. I mean, Penny has, they're all great questions and everything I expect to be asked, like, please, can you post where to train and advise on machinery? So there you go, Mike Grice. Um, the next answer to the question is going to be, I did a level one course. So Sarah Jones did a course with Ben and Benoy. Um, I was the only soft tissue therapist there and worried I was learning to use something that wasn't appropriate for level five. They're also chuffing expensive machines. We'll talk about the expense in a second, but there we go. It looks like there definitely is a gap to fill for some therapists. And what Gary raised earlier is how do we know that you're not going to get kind of sold onto a course to buy a machine? Um, Mike Grice. Um, the next one here, we got <laughs> Alex Rahim has mentioned another thing which we've covered. Recognizing the type of tendinopathy is one thing. Knowing that tendons may do need time and care around load and dose is another. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, as Mike said, one of the modules will be a refresher or indeed for some therapists, um, an introduction to tendinopathies and the different types. And what are you going to take into consideration and looking at red flags? Alex did go on for the benefit of people on the podcast who can't see the question. Alex did say, at what stage do you deem reasonable to apply a shockwave option? Are you OK with the application of shockwave without a loading strategy or bypassing it? And is shockwave used for all stages? So what about do you I suppose it depends on the individual, but is it a case of let's do the kind of conservative loading protocol first? And then if that's not working shockwave or are you at a stage now where you're confident that with some people it's a case of deciding one or the other or both at the same time or? Um, I think yeah, um, the best que- the best answer for that is it depends. Mm. Um, as always, it comes down to the individual case. In, in general, I would say, you know, we need to get going with the loading program first um, and give that uh, several weeks to actually try to settle down. 
if you've got something that's relatively cute and new starting, you probably don't want to be putting the shockwave on straight away anyway. If it's um, any acute inflammation in, within the tendon, you definitely don't want shockwave on there. Um, if it's been something, you know, somebody comes to you with a history of, um, you know, 18 months worth of Achilles pain, um, and they've tried, the, you know, the, the, the YouTube to try to Google their symptoms and, and do all the exercises and stuff like that. Um, you know, you would try probably a few weeks of a, a graded loading program that's that's designed for them at their right the right level for them. And if, if that starts to not go the right way, then you would add the shockwave into it. The general rule of thumb is kind of, you know, three months worth of good rehab, and then you would start with some shockwave um, if, if it doesn't work. So in a lot of the conditions like patellar tendinopathy, um, you know, Achilles tendinopathy, there, there are a subsection of people who just don't get better with the loading program on their own. Um, and that's where shockwave can come in and help out. So it, it isn't necessarily a treatment that you would reach for the first time somebody comes in to see you. There are a couple of exceptions. Um, plantar fasciitis potentially would be one of those, and there is some evidence for that. Um, but overall, it's it's a treatment that, that you would do for something that's a bit recalcitrant, that's a bit stubborn, um, or, or that's been there for a long time and they've tried everything. Quite often we get people in the clinic, they've had a couple of injections, They've tried the, the loading program. They've been to see another health pr uh, practitioner. Um, and for these people, we will just diagnose um, and, and start with the treatment straight away um, because they've been through the ringer already. But if, if, like I said, if there's a new case, they've had the pain for a short period of time, you know, the loading program is where it's at. It's, you can't get stuff really better without the loading program. And I saw one of the other questions there as well, which talked about, do you shockwave alone? Do you shockwave and load? And, and that's a really, really important thing because a lot of the research, but certainly in the early days, um, treated shockwave as a bit like an injection where you had a dose of shockwave and then you had that maybe three times or some studies even talk about it just once. Um, and then they looked at before and after and saw, is there an effect of, of that? Um, what we know or what we kind of extrapolate from a lot of the animal research and uh, the basic research that's been done on shockwave is that shockwave is more like, you know, the analogy is you're bringing the, the building materials to um, to the building site. So what it, shockwave does is that it upregulates your fibroblasts, your osteoblasts, uh, your tenocytes that actually start to produce new tissue. Um, that's one part of, of what it does. Um, the second part of what it does, it, it, it stimulates certain enzymes within your tissue, um, things like nitrous oxide, um, ENOS, um, the vascular endothelial growth factor, all things that will then actually bring more blood flow into an area. So if you have something that's really chronic that hasn't really completed its healing cycle, you can actually bring a, a new healing environment into the tissue. So when you're doing all these things, um, putting the loading program in there is essential because if you don't, if you have all these building materials in the web, in, in there, the team sites are firing up. Um, you've got more blood flow coming into that tendon and you've got a really nice environment for it to heal. We know that you can actually get some results from just doing that. But when you add the loading program, that's where the magic happens. That's when you start to see the biggest differences. The other effect that Shockwave has is that it remodulates pain. And it does that through a couple of ways. One is the kind of the hyperstimulation and analgesia that you get immediately after the treatment. 
but there's also some modulation of CRGP, which is um, one of the kind of the uh, the things involved in creating a neurogenic inflammation within an area to sensitize the tissue, uh, and also substance P. So it inhibits up, um, the substance T is P uptake, which again re reduces pain. So when you then have a condition that's you know, really, really difficult to load sometimes. You know, you have, it's a load capacity issue with tendons um, and you have then a block of having pain there. Doing a short course of physiotherapy, sorry, shockwave therapy can actually get you past that block and actually enable you to do the exercises better. As in what we tend to see when we start the shockwave is that the rehab is just much smoother. Um, they tend to go from one stage to the next and, and that, you know, you can't rush the body's response to these things. You still need to continue and do a complete loading program. Um, it's, it's not a, a kind of a shortcut, although sometimes it feels like that because the pain starts to go quite in a way quite rapidly. What you have to do then is ensure that you are doing the correct rehab to go along with the shockwave therapy. Make a bit of sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Why is it? I'm interested because, I mean, I know it's tricky with studies, but one of the problems is, I mean, it is very expensive, okay? Um, and I guess that's because of the machinery you need to generate these much deeper kind of profound sound waves and things. But why is it? There are some studies which kind of support it with the greater trochanteric syndrome and that. I think there's some hamstring studies. But then there's other studies, which, I mean, those haven't been replicated yet. And there's others which show nothing. They, there's one systematic review which will go very low evidence. It's not evidence-based. Another one which will say, oh, we've had lots of it. What, what do you put that down to? Because it's not necessarily always poor study against good study. Sometimes equally good studies, it seems, when you look at them, find different results. So how would you explain that to somebody who's worried about putting some, quite a lot of expense into something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a fair comment. Um, I think there's a mixed bag in terms of the evidence. Um, I briefly touched upon um, uh, the difference between studies done in the early 2000s, um, in the 1990s, and what we're producing these days. Um, there is generally there's there's lots of different machines on the market, and there's no standard to how much power each machine puts puts out. So that there in itself, you have you have something that's really difficult to compare. So taking one study and comparing that to the other, if it's been used with two different machines, and they've used, you know, they've treated plantar fasciitis, for instance, um, but they've used different energy levels on two different machines as well. So um, say one used 1.5 bar and the other one used 5 bar, um, huge difference in pressure, um, and one was a... Um, an EMS device and the other one was, um, you know, a focus device from, from Venn or from Storz, the results will be completely different. Um, and then the other thing as well is like in the early days and still certainly in some studies that we see, um, you have the, the effect of it's treated as a, you know, an injection, a one-off treatment and not necessarily having a standardized rehab program to go along with that. So, there's just lots of discrepancies within the studies. So I think you need to really understand that you have to delve a little bit deeper to understand what is quality and what's not quality. And that's really difficult for somebody who doesn't or hasn't learned about the technology. Um, you know, there's a great example. I was, I was doing a little bit of research today just to see if there was any new studies that was coming out. And there was one study on uh, focus shockwave for plantar fasciitis. Now, plantar fasciitis is probably the one condition that has the most amount of 
um, uh, support for for shockwave um, in in the human body. And um, this study um, did three sessions over three weeks, and it had um, there was no difference over sham, which I was like, really? And then I looked into it deeper, and the pressure levels that they used was 0.02 millijoules, which is the second lowest setting on the machine, which is incredibly low. It's not even considered low shockwave. It's considered nano shockwaves. Um, and when you then look at other studies that have looked into the optimal amount of, um, uh, of, of dosage, you look at 0.1 to 0.2 millijoules per millimeter square second. So it's, it's kind of um, a tenth of the energy that you would expect to have to get a physiological response in there. And then you kind of understand, okay, so that RCT, which looked really good on, on, on paper, and if you read the abstract, you show, oh, it doesn't work. But then you understand that the, the energy that's required to actually get a better response in the plantar fascia needs to be much higher. So it's, it, it, it is, it's really difficult to read this research um, unless you know the technology, which, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, it's a bit of a bugbear because I, I do understand it and I can read it and understand why things don't quite pan out. Um, and sometimes, you know, the, the, the studies are just ambiguous. Um, there are areas within the body where there's some studies that say, yeah, this works really great. And for other things, it doesn't work so well. And, and so it, it isn't just all butterflies and, and rainbows. It's if for certain conditions, there are strong evidence. And for others, it's still, we need more evidence. We've got to figure out why it works for some tendons and not for others. Um, like the evidence for the lower limb is tremendous compared to the upper limb. Um, you know, the, if you look at, um, rotator cuff problems, for instance, if it's calcific tendinopathy, this it's got a lot run, run about a 90% um, success rate in being, bringing a good or a great outcome to those conditions with 60% of them reabsorb the calcification, etc., which is tremendous. You then look at non-calcific rotator cuff and the results are a bit, nah, they're not so great. So it's then understanding why then, why does it work for an Achilles tendinopathy as well as it does? And why doesn't it work for a rotator cuff um, problem? So it's kind of a, there's, there's a lot more to learn, about, I guess, still to get the most out of this technology. But what we can do is, is be a little bit research positive and, and learn what we can from it and discard the stuff that doesn't work. So, you know, when we already have research that's been around for um, a few years now in terms of the optimal intensity for treating the plantar fasciitis, it's kind of like almost a neglect to do a treatment which is a tenth of that power and expect the same result as previous studies have been there. So when you're replicating studies again, it's kind of a bit like, why did you even bother doing that? I've never had it. I mean, it's, it's no, the advantage of this over ultrasound is, I mean, I think originally I read it was used to kind of break down gallstones or something. It's powerful stuff. I don't know whether that's an exaggeration, but there's no doubt that it can, is strong enough to disrupt tissue, but <laughs> Is it painful? Or does that depend on the type you have? Is this a problem where I've, I've read that it can be quite, quite painful and you're told to put up with it? Doesn't that contradict with some <laughs> of the other theories we've had? I've never had it, so I'm just asking. Yeah, no, it's, it's, again, it's great questions. Um, you know, the, the, the background from Shockwave is through lithotripsy, which is a big medical machine which breaks down, you know, um, uh, kidney stones. Um, and, you know, having that is reasonably uncomfortable. And um, they use a really high-level pressure to be able to make that happen. Now, the machines that you have in within your clinics, the, the, the radial and the focus devices, are certainly not um, of the same power, for one. Um, 
there are some studies, I think, I can't even remember the reference because it's a really old one, but they looked at how many bar pressure you would need to actually create tissue damage with it. Um, and it's over six bar pressure. Like then, for instance, they, the machines stop at five bar. So even at five bar, you wouldn't be able to create the amount of energy needed to, to do that. So um, it's it's been shown to be safe across conditions in terms of um, of the very few um, side effects to the treatment, a little bit of skin reddening, a bit of pain during treatment is a common side effect. Um, but what you need to do is that you need, need to then modulate how much power you use. So you want to create a stimulation, but you don't want to create too much of stimulation. You don't want the patient gripping the bed, biting down on a piece of leather to have the most amount of energy in there. I get, the question I get from patients often is that, you know, if you put the machine up higher, will that make my pain go away quicker? Mm. And isn't the case. You know, we're trying to stimulate some biology here. We're trying to stimulate some biological processes that's going to help that tissue heal. So we don't necessarily need the highest level. And there are research coming out um, in probably most recently, I guess, where they look at using the lower level of energy to stimulate healing. So certainly for, for skin conditions and stuff like that, they use very low pressures and this still creates a, an effect. Um, but in terms of, of the, the kind of most of the tendinopathies and stuff, it's medium pressure. But we're looking for somewhere like, you know, three, four out of 10 is not optimal kind of pressure, something that you can lay there, you can relax and breathe, not hold your breath, but you can take a little bit of discomfort, probably no worse than you sticking a knuckle into somebody's piriformis or something like that, you know, that's probably yeah, more painful, I would think. Uber, can I just ask then, you've got the variable of the pressure on the machine, yeah. what about the variable of time? Can you, can you achieve, uh, probably a bad word, tissue damage by applying shockwave for too long a time period? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, you would you normally go by dosage, mm -hmm. so you would you would go by dosage. So the average um, tendinopathy, for instance, would would receive about two thousand pulses. Um, like I said, there, there hasn't been any research studies that have mentioned any um, any side effects of that nature. Um, there was a study um, I've got it written down here somewhere. It, it was a, a study of. Um, 2,800 cases, I think, of, of 2,800 heals. And there was only 250 cases where they actually reported some reddening of the skin, you know, let alone any anything else. Um, and that's that's usually done at a relatively high bar pressure if you use um, shockwaves, so often like um, three bar maybe, two and a half to three bar for plantar fasciitis. Um, and for... for um, focus, you know, 0.1 to 0.25 millijoules. So, yeah, there just isn't um, any reports in the literature, if you like, about tissue damage. Yeah. Matt, there was a, uh, because of the, there's lots of questions coming in, mm. I'm just scrolling back to one. Um, so Steve Kirby, um, 2023, could shockwave therapy aid the function and restoration of hypertonic deep muscles such as the lumbar multifidus. So would anybody care to answer that? Is it appropriate treatment in the first instance? Well, I'm happy to answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's um I, well for for me i think you you may you may get some pain relief in in an area where whether you can um assess whether a muscle's hypertonic and then the changes afterwards i i, I wouldn't know over to you uber <laughs> well you know there's there's quite a bit of, of research on um spasticity and use of radial shockwave in treating uh, spasticity in neurological clients um, and they achieve great results in, in terms of reducing tone in muscle. Um, so in terms of then MSK use, um, the, you know, the, the places where I've used that um, successfully personally has been when people have had the previous disc issues and they've got really hypertonic um, low back muscles. And, you know, for one session or two sessions, we will just go over with the radial, detonize that muscle and then start to re-educate that movement segment. Um, so it, it can, it does work in detonizing muscles, but at the same time, it's not a massage therapy gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how do you measure it then? How, you know, when the research is done, is it, do they measure it through imaging? Do they measure it through, you know, how um, they use loads of different measurements um, in terms of tendinopathies. Like if you take the Achilles, it's you, often the Visa A questionnaires that gets used, you know, the standard um, stuff that you use for, for that. For tennis elbow, it's a combination of uh, grip strength to VAS scores to, you know, dash functional questionnaires and things like that. So, you know, every research study uses slightly different depending on what the what the area is, but they try to standardize it. Certainly the newer studies are, much better at that and you recognize the stuff that they're using to measure it and it's not just um you know VAS scores it's, there are other things too um you know the, the the one thing that we can say you know we have there might be a few question marks in terms of we knowing exactly how the shockwave works still although we have some idea of how it works through mechanotransduction and biological stimulation um we do know that it works with pain and it improves function and that comes down from the research that's been done on it um, and the outcome measures that have been used. Where will it end? You know, electrotherapy, you mentioned that the shockwave was a, um, was born from um, some hospital-based machinery. Um, you know, we, we, we're starting to talk about lasers now. Um, how far can technology go, um, to, you know, to make the human body better? Um, it's, a, it's a good one. Um, I mean, laser laser has been around for um, since the 1960s, I think. Uh, you know, it's it's an old technology now. Um, I think the same with shockwave. Shockwave has been around since 1980. It's 40 years old. Um, you know, it's it's not new technology. Um, I think it's becoming more popular because we're looking at options. I think, you know, is it the fact that um, some of the conven- conventional treatments that we're doing aren't really creating a, a difference for those people who are stubborn to treat? And are we then looking for other options? I don't know. Um, but certainly, um, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to end up. I think the, there are some exciting developments in stem cell therapy and things like that, which are coming up in the next few years, I think, which will be interesting. But in terms of elect- electrotherapy, I'm not entirely sure. You mentioned massage gun, right? <clears throat> but yes. this is uh, massage gun is on the same spectrum as all of this, because ultimately we're just talking about vibration. Aren't we? It's the same as a jacuzzi. It's the same as ultrasound. You say there's kind of... The, the biology of it and mechanotransduction, but all we're really doing is just sending stronger vibrations through the body. There's not any new technology other than that. It's just we're figuring that because they're stronger, they're having more of an effect. But the actual effect of how that 
it's the same as a machine gun, isn't it? A machine gun that's no, slightly too vibrational, <laughs> but uh, but a massage gun. Um, I, th- I think it comes down to the power of the, the vibrations and what mm. is actually achievable. Um, whether you be able to treat a a you know mid portion Achilles tendinopathy with a machine a machine gun. And also might not like to with, with, with a you know um, a, um, a massage gun or whatever. Yeah, um, I think it's debatable. I don't think you would actually create the 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 power in there to to do that. Um, I, you know, I don't have the answer to that one, but mm. uh, it seems plausible that uh, you know there's a reason why ultrasound didn't work. Um, it was underpowered, I think, underpowered. Um, and I think. Um, the difference in shockwave, and certainly for <clears throat> certain conditions, focus shockwave can be a game changer, even when radial shockwave has, has failed. Um, and, sorry, I think you got a question there. Me? Yeah, I've got I've got a quick question. Then. <laughs> and it, you, you mentioned ultrasound having having failed. Okay, why is it that it's still so widely used? You know, in um, in <laughs> Multidiscipline clinics. I'm not going to name professions, but yeah, in multidiscipline I, you, clinics, why does why do we still go in there and are subjected to seven or nine minutes of ultrasound if if the evidence is really that bad? I, I don't have the answer for you there. I personally, haven't used ultrasound for at least fifteen years. Um, we got taught at university, but um, you know, um, when the research comes out and shows that it has very little to no effect on conditions, you kind of just got to go right. Let's park that thing. Um, why some people still use it, I have no idea. But in its day, ultrasound was what shockwave is now. Some people would argue that it's quite incredible that everybody dismisses that ultrasound and says, "Oh, that's rubbish." But shockwave—that's the latest thing. You know, it's ultrasound like... was bigger. Ultrasound was bigger than shockwave because every single clinic had it, um, mm. relatively cheap to buy, and every single clinic had it back in the day. That's why um, so many people use it. So accessible, like, you know, um, shortwave and. Um, you know, frontophoresis and um, Faraday's and all these electrical, you know, stimulations and stuff like that, which, you know, gradually have just been kind of put to the side and realized that it doesn't actually make such a big difference. And, and you know, other things make a bigger difference. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite biased here. You know, why is Shockwave better? I think Shockwave is starting to prove through the evidence base that it has a role to play in treating stubborn musculoskeletal conditions mm-hmm. it has it's non-invasive there's very few side effects to it um, and therefore is an alternative to other more invasive things so if you are faced with the um you know the the prospect of um convert conservative treatment has failed you and you are now looking at a steroid injection or a prp injection or you're going in for surgery then you have something that's much safer much less invasive um, and although we're going to touch on cost in a bit, you know, it, it is an option there, which, you know, the patients then can choose to have that option rather than being thrust upon by clinicians, I guess, you know, what they need to do next. We have a lot of people that, that come and seek us out because they want that non-invasive option. I think we're going to need a part two of this. Are you free next week? We can to... I mean, literally, it's 8.58 and we've got so many questions. And I really want to devote quite a lot of time onto, right, if a clinician wants to actually invest in this, what are some of the ways of doing it, getting hold of the equipment, making sure they can do a course, finding apps for them. But we just simply haven't got time to talk about that now because it's like 8.58. But we'll have to kind of try and I think it's definitely worth a part two. 
because like you say the evidence is both ways and that you know that means there's something in it i mean i just wanted to ask one question how much of a factor is and again this is my bias coming over but like the pain modulations for example how much of a factor and you've obviously considered this is the fact that it's a machine it's expensive um the contextual effect has got to be huge because we know that's the case when someone applies something which you can't really do yourself even though in theory you maybe arguably you could do yourself is that something that you take into account and when you look at the research it could be just like that next new thing and that's why people are jumping for it and, and you were getting good results um you can say no if you want just no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I think, um i think um well you know I, I can talk you through my journey with it um but how i started with it which is you know, a, a relatively standard looking at how um, people uh, come across it on the courses that we run. Um, I had quite a few stubborn tendinopathies and I was looking around for what other other options for treating these things. You know, back in the day uh, when we first qualified, you know, uh, we used things like deep transverse friction massage and things like that, which, you know, can help some 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 things still, you know, like it's, if, it, if, if there are any connective tissue kind of issues there but you know i needed something in my arsenal that would actually help my patients more i was getting really frustrated with it so i started looking around i found shockwave therapy i started reading the research and the research you know was showing me that there are a possibility for treating these really stubborn cases um i then went and spoke to experts people who have been using these machines for a few years i went to one of the basic courses learned some more of the theory, got to handle the machine, got to really, you know, see what it could do to to, um, to problems. Um, and then when I got the machine, I started using it. And I was ple pleasantly surprised of one, how how easy it was to get the results in the in the um, the research was talking about. Um, and then, you know, in the beginning, there is a little bit of a learning curve where you have to fine tune a little bit your skill in terms of when to apply it, who to apply it to. And it, that clinical decision-making is something that you need to spend time learning. And it's not necessarily something that you will get from, you know, your beginner's um, shockwave course either. Um, and, you know, having that responsibility for over your clients then to, to you know, conceptualize what you're actually giving them um, is important. And you mentioned it's the new big thing, you know, and, and I would imagine that you could sell this to patients in a way where, they will go, wow, this is really going to work for me because it's one, it's expensive. It's the most advanced technology out there. You know, all these things you can be told. And I think as a responsible clinician, you, you owe it to your patients to, you know, tell them about the research, tell them about the possibilities. Like you've had this problem for, for a little while now. What if we tried something different? Um, this is Shockwave. This is what it's proposing to do. And within this amount of time, we're expecting to see these changes. And then you have a decision-making joint with the patient of, do you think this is a good idea? Is this something that you want to do? Um, and then if they agree to to go ahead with that, um, then, you know, th that's fine then, isn't it? And it's like, it's it's about patient preference a little bit too. We have to bring the patient in on the decision-making. Um, it's not necessarily just about, we've got a new toy and we want to apply it to all our patients. Look, we're going to have to do a part two, which I think maybe we'd focus on. I mean, the, the, 
the reason I'm bought into it is because you two are talking. So, I mean, I mean, I'm a classic example of if you and my first are going, yeah, I'll try it because I have faith in you two because I know you're both kind of evidence informed and, and you know, you're not salespeople. So, but I think it would be nice to do a part two. There's already a few people asking about, right, if I want to make the investment, how do I do it? What's the path? Which machine uh, do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? details of the courses so do you reckon that's something we could put together and do a part two of we're not going to try and sell you the idea anymore here's a way of seeing if it's for you cool. you know a path to do it do you think that'd be cool yeah yeah and also mike's hardly not. said anything i think well, mike's I was, been- uh, yeah yeah I, well i was going to say because i've got i've got um, the two machines as well and uh, over the last two years i've i've implemented it in my clinic and um I could say about how I've done that and the the effect it's had. I know some people have talked about um, uh, adherence to treatment, and it's had a mm. massive effect on that, huge effect on yeah. adherence. And um, yeah, yeah, so there, there's lo- there's loads of things kind of um, from my clinical experience that I, I could from a like sports therapy point of view that I could um, I, I could bring across no problem. I think that'd be great. I think it'd be really interesting. And, and um, we could spread the word, people. I think about 58 of you tuned in today and, and there'll be a thousand or so listening to the podcast. So maybe we could even, um, yeah, we could set up a little uh, question thing about what would you like to know more of and, and put some questions together for you guys. If if you could come back at some point, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. Cool. The, Mark, there's two ways we could do this then. We could either, you know, have another web chat on it or we could create... Uh, you know, like you said, a survey to ask some questions and we could invite people. We could we could do it over a Zoom call for people who wanted specific answers. Uh, we could do that uh, quite easily. So if you if you want to comment in the in in the comments for us, do you want another one of these sessions? I think it would be really valuable, um, you know, for the reasons you've already outlined. Um, or do you want to do it on a more personal level, one to one? Um, well, sort of a group sort of Zoom call. So just let us know which which you'd prefer, and then we'll facilitate that for you. Okay, and they're still just asking questions, like <laughs> we're just talking to nobody. <laughs> Question questions going down, guys. It's it's nine oh five now, and we're going to have to call it a day. It, it's Zoom by. It's the fastest episode I've ever. Um, in the meantime, before we do do a part two. Um, if people want to some more information on what both of you guys do, where's the best place for them to find out? Do they contact you or is it all available on your websites or where can people look? To either of you. Movement therapy education uh, for me. Yeah. So well, either on my website or Facebook group. Okay. So movement, if you listen to the podcast, movement therapy education, what, how do they get to the website? Just put that in Google's easiest way, isn't it? Yeah. So um, M-T-E dot education, M-T-E dot education. Okay mte.education um and actually my clinic websites um you know you can contact me off off that uh it's indigardphysio.com brilliant okay and in terms of social media people want to follow you and see and see you kind of like what you're talking about where's the best place for each of you where do you tend to hang out was it across the whole board um insta mostly um yeah fantastic and for you mike starting to get into insta mine's mainly (laughs) facebook facebook is okay facebook and insta fantastic um right gary anything you want to end with or mention well if you want to follow me on social media (laughs) 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 no pressure best to shout Um, over the garden fence for you (laughs) yeah well um sarah jones has just said happy with either as long as it's still available to non-sta members so i think judging by the comments here let's do another one of these um you know let's get together with timings etc um and 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 we can rearrange one of these then 
I think so. Especially go and tell you, I mean, this is a chance. I am skeptical and cynical, but it's because of the people I, maybe I've met in the past. But when you've got two people like this who you can guarantee are trying to challenge themselves and, and they're looking at, why, as science does, how could we say this doesn't work? Or what are the ways which disprove this? These two are all about it. So try to also encourage people who you know have dismissed it on social media. Just chuck it out. You know, just go, oh, it's all rubbish. It, oh, it sounds doesn't work. So this doesn't work. Try and get them along as well. So we get some interesting questions because I know that these two are very well equipped and they won't take offence, um, you know, to be challenged. So, yeah, try and spread the word and we'll make sure we put another one together. Yeah, de- right. definitely sharing this um, this podcast and, uh, and and web chat through your, your own platforms is a really good way of doing that. And, yeah, definitely look forward to a, a, a session number two. Fantastic. Uwe, thanks for giving up your time. No oh, pleasure. Brilliant. And Mike? as well no worries thank yeah. you i feel like mike hasn't said much this episode oh, it's yeah. like he's just <laughs> sat there without his hat on so apologies for that but guaranteed next session um mike will be back to his normal self maybe it's the hat maybe you do need to wear a hat. yeah that's it yeah. Lost your samson's hair it's been all right gang um sorry about the late um uh, finish but we will be back soon watch out obviously on social media on the website and we're back with a part two um to answer all those other questions about how you do invest in this is it for you courses types of machines etc we will get to it thank you very much everybody we'll see you next tuesday take care bye-bye You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about it.